Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. This week, we have Christopher Cottrell, uh, hopefully I pronounced that right, <laughs> and we'll be talking about offensive security. I know for at least the past three years, everyone that I talk to, they either want to become a SOC analyst or they want to become a pen tester. So um, offensive security is a huge topic. A lot more companies are looking to develop offensive security teams, but they need to be done in the right way. So that's why today we're bringing on Christopher to talk about his story as well as uh, some of the experiences he's had in developing offensive security programs as well help to build a pipeline for companies that are looking to do so so that they can attract and retain the offensive security specialists that you're bringing in. Uh, Christopher? Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's a passionate topic of mine. Um, where would you like to start? Uh, well, let's just start with give everyone a little background on yourself. Um, what makes you an offensive security specialist? Where do you come from and how did you get here? Yeah, so I started doing offensive security things uh, about 10 or 11 years ago uh, for the government. I kind of got involved in that field when I was in the military. And that was a nice, nice pipeline that they have in the, in the government. I was able to learn quite a few things, cut my teeth on a few projects. And then I decided that I wanted to step out of the government and go into the private sector to see what was out there. Uh, I was interested to see how other offensive security people were doing things without all of the tools and techniques that we had access to. So it was a nice challenge for me. Um, I uh, was doing a bunch of hands-on keyboard things for a few years. I kind of took a tour doing hunt teaming for about uh, 10 months uh, to learn what was on the other side. And I uh, went to a couple companies, helped start up their programs. And uh, now I'm currently at NVIDIA trying to help make the world a better place. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. What does it mean to be an offensive security um, professional? The biggest thing I would say was is having the adversarial mindset. Um, because if, uh, if you want to catch an attacker, it's preferable that you have somebody on staff that also can think like one as well. Uh, so that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be on an offensive security team, but the core requirement, the foundation would be the mindset. And you can grow that in quite a few ways. There's a lot of courses you can go to, uh, just being active in a lot of operations, um, SOC operations, hunt team operations. You can really kind of develop like how an attacker thinks. Um, if you wanted to go another step up from that, that would be to apply your mindset in a way that can strengthen the defenses of, of wherever you work. And what I mean by that is, you know how an attacker thinks, you know how other attackers think, well, it's time for you to become one yourself. So you need the technical skills to show value to your, your organization. And that can be pen testing, that can be application security, that could be covert operations, the red team, uh, it could be doing threat intelligence. Um, but whatever avenue you pick, you have to start layering technical capabilities on top of that. Um, and as you start layering those capabilities, there's a common pitfall that I see where 
because you have more skills, you feel like you need to display more data or talk about more things. And the messaging kind of gets lost. So there's like a like a nice uh, increase in a career trajectory, trajectory and then it kind of stalls because you know the specialist has acquired so much expertise uh, that they just want to tell everybody about it. And then um, that's where I see a lot of teams start to struggle is uh, not being able to convey that messaging correctly. Okay, well, let's talk about developing some of those skills. You mentioned um, starting in the SOC or uh, hunt teams. Can you explain what that is for someone just looking to come into the industry? Sure, so I'll start with the SOC. That's what I would consider like the front line, the trenches um, for a security program or security posture at a company. Uh, security Oper- Operations Center, you're basically looking at dashboards and, and blue teamers will probably send me nasty crams after this, but uh, you're basically looking at dashboards and you're verifying if alerts that are coming in are true positives or false positives. And from my experience interacting with SOX, usually it's false positives that come in. So there's a lot of time that's spent just looking at data in a dashboard and saying, yes, this is good. No, this is not good. Uh, where things get more fun, in my opinion, is when you start dipping into the hunt teaming, uh, which is proactive, yeah, like proactive uh, going after an adversary that you suspect is in the network. You know, you usually have a hunch and you think you have all these disparate pieces of data and you're like, something about this just doesn't seem right. And you can use all the tools and sensors and everything in the company to go actively look for something that you can't quite verify is there. Um What's interesting about hunt teams is hunt teams have to have an offensive mindset, which means that in all the places I've worked, I've always advocated that anybody that's on the offensive security team should also be on the hunt team as well. Because if anybody's gonna go catch somebody, it's it's our own trusted you know, adversaries. Do you use a systematic approach for this hunt? Like- for example, using the MITRE ATT&CK framework or some of the TTPs that are known to certain adversaries to to do that hunt, or is it more just based on the hunch and going to go hunting? Well, there's definitely some playbooks that we've developed. Um, I'm technically not like the the leader of the hunt team. We once uh, once we get activated, we kind of report up to them, and because uh, you know they're the experts in in exactly what you're talking about, like we have a hunch and we're going to go track somebody using this methodology. So it, it does require steps. Um, but I do highly encourage anybody that's listening. If you have an offensive security team and they're not part of your hunt team, you're missing out big time. Okay. Perfect. So um, have that adversarial mindset start to join some of the hunt team. Now you mentioned from there kind of growing that adversarial hunt um mindset from going to courses out there what recommendations might you have uh, for someone to grow that adversarial mindset uh well i'm sure the one that everybody knows of uh quite fondly is that start with the oscp um that's where i would say if you that's the good entry point to grow your adversarial mindset if you have money to spend if you do not have money to spend, I would recommend uh, other platforms like Hack the Box um, or any of those other places that you can go and kind of skill skill up. You'll start to see how exploits work. You'll start to see why 
you're supposed to chain attacks in certain ways and start thinking about things. Um, but yeah, if, if you can get a way to pay for it, OSCP is the best place to start. Uh, and one thing I always tell anybody I try to mentor or help out or try to get into the field is that the one thing that OSCP taught me more than anything else, not it was not a technical skill at all. It was how to research. So when you say how to research, um, are you referring to open source intelligence or more so how to um, break certain pieces of software, how to use a vulnerability? Um, can you describe that a little more? Yeah, what I mean by it, it taught me how to research was it taught me how to attack a problem. So yes, there's a technical piece of that course, which is attacking something technically. Uh, but I caught I got more out of it from a soft skill standpoint of how do I attack a problem? And I was able to take, you know, how I would research a vulnerability, how I would document it, how I would test it, how I would iterate through things. I was able to take those skills and apply them to like literally every aspect of my career. So in example, hunt teaming, you would take that methodology and just say, we have a hunch that there's something over here. Um, I'm gonna start researching how to get the data that I need to tell me yes or no. And you, it's very systematic. One of the comments that we have from one of our live viewers is something like the MITRE Navigator sounds like a great resource for a hunt team. Yeah, the Attack Navigator is really great. Um, I think I think it integrates with uh, Red Elk too, which is a tool that we're kind of messing around with uh, as we just do the course of like normal operations. Uh, we're trying to capture data just as it's happening so we don't have to go back and write a report that somebody may or may not read. Uh, we could just dump it into the Navigator and just display it as a dashboard, like the weekend review of operations, you know, here, this is what the, the navigator looks like for this week. Okay. And what are some of the other ways that you get into the adversarial mindset? Do you research certain attackers and um, what sort of companies they attack, how they attack, why they attack uh, to get yourself in, in their shoes? I, I feel like this answer is going to change based on the person you ask. So each person's different. Um, for me, the best way that I generate new ways to conduct assessments or scenarios or how would somebody do something like this is I learn very well by uh, by reading other examples. So like biographies, um, I kind of lean into uh, military history because there's a lot of direct application for military history to cyber. Um, I learned by those examples. So for me, as a, at a strategic level where I am now in my career, I'm thinking about how do I move a lot of pieces together to tell a larger story, to learn direct examples. Like if you're on, on Keeper oper Operator and you're trying to figure out, like, wh what can I do once I land on a Windows host? Um, there's all kinds, like, honestly, like Hack the Box will help you a lot. Um, I got hooked up with... Uh, Alien Vaults, um, Threat Intel Feed. That thing still, that was like years ago when I subscribed to that and it sends me stuff like daily. I still get emails for it and it just kind of keeps me abreast of like what's going on. Um, there's also a new one that came out recently, uh, cvetrends.com or something like that. It scrapes Twitter for all the CVEs that are being talked about and uh, you can start from there and just kind of 
you know, start Googling using those research skills to figure out what are these people doing with this CVE? How are they using it? Okay. Uh, one of the questions from our live audience is, have you had experience with Caldera? I have. If my memory serves me correctly, that's a, like an atomics tool um, where you can uh, fire unit tests for, you know, various uh, minor attack red, red team TTPs to see if they actually, you know, if things are being detected uh, as intended. I have not used it. Um, I have heard good things about it. I know there are a lot of uh, paid tools that you can use that do something similar. Um, my thoughts on Caldera is it is trying to do the right thing for the right reason. Um, and what I mean by that is when you start an offensive security program at a company, there's a lot of things that people expect from you. They may have ideas about what a red team is. They may think, oh, we need covert operations from day one. They may think it's pen testing. They may think it's application security. What the, the first goal of any offensive security program should be to make sure that their defense team, their, their counterparts have all the data that they need to make sure that they know that their defenses are working as intended. So things like Caldera should absolutely be in somebody's arsenal or something similar to Caldera or something that accomplishes the same goal as Caldera is help your blue team friends know that they have confidence in their tools. And if they don't have confidence, step up and figure out a way to help them do that. I know it may not sound as fun as doing a covert operation, but it will go a long, long way to help with, um, you know, metrics, uh, budgeting so you can get more people on the team because you're showing, you're showing like such tremendous value. Uh, it's, it's a very, it's a long-term thing and it has to be the foundation of any successful like red, blue, purple team collaboration. I was going to say that sounds like a great purple team approach to it. Um, earlier you mentioned red teaming, pen testing um, as part of an offensive security program. How do you differentiate the two? Because often I see people mix them up. Okay. Um, so with red teaming, uh, we have defined it as a red team will go in and find gaps in defenses or they will provide defense validation. So that's where there's things like Caldera and the Atomics come into play. Uh, you, the red team is there to help validate defenses and or find new ones that are unknown. Uh, for pen testing, that is more specific assessments of a product security. So, you know, somebody's going to release something, they need a pen test, they need to make sure that the security that they implemented is correct. And they uh, typically pen tests will find more misconfigurations than just like straight out security vulnerabilities. So pen testing is more, did, our, did the security we put in place work for this specific product? And uh, did we miss any misconfigurations that we can't find via scans? Uh, the other one that I mentioned was threat intelligence. That's just, I mean, threat intel means a lot of different things to different companies. Uh, but typically the primary customer should be the blue team for that one. Uh, they can help inform the offensive security team too, uh, but they, they need to help the blue team cut through all those false positives, you know, uh, help the blue team make sure that whatever they're triaging is appropriate for their company, not just the most critical vuln. Is it the most critical vulnerability for their company? Um, and they play well with the vulnerability management team as well. Um, 
And then the hunt team stuff, I, I think I mentioned too. And to me, I see red team offensive security as the peacetime version of a hunt team, which is a, a wartime version for a strong word of uh, the same capabilities. One is for play. One is for, for something real that's going on for an incident. Um, just having that mindset, I think, opens up a lot of doors for partnerships and collaboration. Do you have a home lab or where do you, do you use places like Vuln Hub or other places to practice your skills? I, I've had both in my career. Um, I found the home lab was fun, uh, but like the server was like very loud and eventually, you know, it broke. And then I spent more time trying to fix the server than like it did actually do anything with it. Uh, but with things like all the cloud infrastructure that's out there today, you can totally easily, cheaply recreate a home lab, uh, either with like AWS or GCP or anything. Um, it's good to learn those skills anyway, just because cloud is becoming more prevalent in red team operations. Um, so one, one of the best ways to learn it, you know, to learn how to break something is to, to build it. So I do recommend a home lab, um, whether that is actually in your house or in the cloud. So speaking of the cloud and cloud security, um, what concerns should a up and coming offensive security person be concerned about when testing vulnerabilities within a cloud environment? Do uh, the cloud security, the cloud service providers like when you um, play around like that in their environment or do you have to get permission to do that sort of testing? Well, I'm never not going to go on record and say that you shouldn't get permission. So I'll just I'll just consider that a foundation to cover my bases. Um, but typically, cloud like CSPs, they're pretty good nowadays about uh, operations. Uh, they just, from my experience, they just don't want you launching like external campaigns against people. They don't want stuff coming out of the of their infrastructure. But if you have a company that has a lot of a big like CSP presence. Um, it's usually pretty much fair game. You just got to be careful, you know, if you get the wrong kind of keys or something. Um, and you, it's important also to know the boundaries between the stuff that your company has versus the stuff that your company does not have. Like, where's the boundary between your stuff that you're renting and paying for and uh, the CSP's actual infrastructure? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's pivot the conversation now to creating a good uh offensive security program where do you start in creating a program hmm that will vary from company to company um i will give you an answer i promise the best um, place that it's going to start is typically you could go multiple routes you could go the the route where you go in and show value to the blue team you could go in the routes and show all the sexy stuff first because that's what people like. They like the covert things. They think it's awesome. Like, hey, we have hackers in our company. Check out this, you know, check out this team, man. They're, they're crazy. They'll do anything. Um, there's multiple avenues to go. The important part is that you're able to show, not, not engineers, you're able to show value to those higher than you in the, in the org chart. Um, that will go so much further than any, covert operation that you think is awesome, but nobody read the report. So my suggestions would be pick a product that is going to 
help the company greatly, whether that's pen testing or covert operations or uh, doing the more purple team like Atomics and just go that route first. Um, so maybe take like a month or two and just figure out who needs the most help and then okay. just dedicate, go that way. Success then, will, you, your team will grow with if you get success. Okay. And then in regards to like demonstrating that value, um, do you, do you focus on building up the blue team before starting to build up the red team? Like what's your approach there? Yeah, I, I'll speak from personal experience in this one. Um, for a lot of my career, it has pretty much been starting with the red team. And, and that is like, we're going to show value as the red team. And over the past year, I have seen, we, we, we shifted mindsets through the help and some tough conversations we had uh, internally with our blue team counterparts. Um, we, we shifted mindsets into a more purple aspect. That doesn't mean that we're no longer red. It just means that our, the data that we share and the types of operations that we do are now focused a little differently on how can we help the blue team? Will this operation help the blue team or will it just make them mad because now they have more alerts to do? So once we started thinking about what kind of operation can we do to help them the most, like our footprint and our partnerships and everything, it just it just took off. And we have such a larger capability suite now than I think we would have had we just focused strictly on red team operations. Okay. How do you go about recruiting that, that talent that you need for a team? Uh, where do you start looking? Um, your network, first of all. Um, you look for your network because the talent pool for offensive security is small. Uh, poaching is pretty rampant in, in the field. And, you know, you'll get some team that's great and is starting to get established and then you have uh, one, you know, like on one hand, you're like, oh, I can, I can upskill, uh, you know, an offensive security person, but it may take me like six to eight months. Or I could go steal this other person who's going to come in and just make the organization amazing, and we can just go from there. So you get a lot of poaching, which means there's not a lot of like opportunities to bring new people in. Um, I say start with your network because for me, you can teach. Everything about offensive security and cybersecurity in general, you can can easily be taught on the job. It's more important to focus on hiring the right kind of person with the right kind of mindset. Uh, traditionally, people that are pretty scrappy, um, that have a lot of like moxie and don't mind just kind of grinding on things and just figuring stuff out, not really happy about taking no for an answer. Um, those kinds of mindsets go a long way in, in the field. And if you have somebody that is fully trained with a, the incorrect mindset versus somebody that has some technical foundation already, but no offensive security foundation, but has that mindset, I would heavily argue that you should, you should choose the person that has the right mindset more than anything. Would you say that uh, a software engineering bootcamp would prepare someone to be on a red team or an offensive security program? Hmm. 
depends on like my immediate answer is no, uh, but that's going to depend on your mindset. So if you are in that software engineering bootcamp, I would encourage you to take everything that is being learned or that you have learned and figure out how to break it and turn those into projects that you can put on something like a GitHub so that you can start spinning a different story. And it's not so much that you went to a software engineering bootcamp. It's that you went to a bootcamp to learn how to build tools, to learn how to uh, break software. And you can start telling the kind of narrative that you want. If you have tools, if you have capabilities or anything that you have learned in the course, here's it like here's the example that they taught us in the course. And also here's a POC to like exploit it. If you put those two things together in your GitHub, I mean, that right there tells me that you have the right mindset and also that you're thinking, this is what I want to do long-term. Anything can be broken. You just have to apply it differently. That's why I read weird biographies and stuff. I All those biographies, I'm not reading them because I care about the people. I'm learning lessons that I can apply to cyber operations. Okay. And would you would you start to build your team from a, a top-down approach, like get leadership, get senior individuals, and then get more junior folks, or get junior folks that you can train up properly to become those senior folks, or a little bit of um, I hate that it's like this, but you need those. You need the probably the people that you can poach first. The reason that you need that is people have to like during that first year or whatever, when the offensive security program has started, like people have to see something, right? They, they have to see it. So they typically, you need a more senior person to come in and, and kind of like kick the door in so that you can build relationships so that when they speak about operations or vulnerabilities, people acknowledge the value of their words. Um, and that just comes with like, you know, presence. And if you come with a good CVE background or you have a history of demonstrating, you know, hacks or vulnerabilities or anything. Um, I would say definitely after that first year, if, you know, if you've hired the right people, the right senior people that have gone and expanded the footprint and made friends and partners and everything across the organization, absolutely, you can uh, bring in some more junior people that second year. And how would you create that pipeline of uh, junior folks that um, potentially are zero experience, um, but have that right mindset that you're looking for to uh, become that skilled individual? Um, so going back to the software and the software engineering bootcamp question, I highly encourage anybody that thinks that they want to get into cyber to have a technical foundation and something else first. Not only does that give you something to fall back on as you start learning how to break things, you're like, I know this thing, I know these things, how can I break them? It also builds your portfolio. It also brings an additional specialty to the team whenever you're able to get on one. Um, so I wouldn't recommend starting from zero to try to get into like an offsec program. I would recommend picking something like IT, cloud, Windows, networking, just anything. Skill up on that first. See if you can get some training in a different position, um, and then uh, you know work it from the inside, and then then transition over into wherever you want to special like red, specialize like Red or Blue. 
Um, as far as pipelines are concerned, like once you have that foundation, however you've gotten it, once you have the foundation, um, I always like to say that I think of all of the things in cybersecurity as like uh, classes in like a Dungeons and Dragons, right? You have like a fighter, a mage, a wizard, a ninja, whatever. Each of those things require specific pieces of gear to be more successful than like other things. Like a warrior will have to have like heavy armor. A wizard has to have like cloth and, and other things like that. Figure out how you want to specialize and then go after those things because a team needs specialists. Generalists come way, way later. And if you want the best opportunity to break into a team, you have to show that you will bring something special to the team whether that's cloud, like Windows, firmware, any of that stuff. So once you have your technical foundation, I highly encourage you to figure out if you want to go red or blue and then figure out what you need to do to get there. It could be OSCP. It could be a whole bunch of other things. It could be more AWS courses getting all of your AWS stuff. Um, as long as you have that adversarial mindset, you will learn how to break stuff that you have built. And uh, that's all you really need is just that mindset. And, and for those companies that might not be at the, the maturity where they need a full-time um, offensive security professional, would you go with a, a pen test as a service or would you prefer a human practitioner that's potentially a consultant that comes in to help help you? Uh, are you talking, sorry, I'm going to have to clarify. Are you talking about, okay, a company that doesn't have an offsite program, but they, they need some sort of adversarial services? Yes. And are you asking whether we should, whether the company should go with a large pen test company or a consultant? Uh, so there's a lot of companies that advertise pen test as a service where they're continuously trying to get into your organization versus having a, a practitioner where they're going to do it for a certain period of time and uh, use the human approach. Okay, so would the practitioner be like a full-time employee? Or a consultant for X number of months or a year or whatever. Uh, just okay. I can try and understand that approach. Yeah, sure. So I hate saying this, but I've come to a conclusion throughout my career that often an offensive security team is a specialty item. Like it's a luxury item, right? You don't immediately go out and buy a luxury thing first. You know, you go out and buy your foundational things first. And then, you know, once you save up money or whatever, then you go buy the luxury items. So offensive security teams internally, they're luxury items. So if the security posture of the company is not at the point where that foundation is laid, then yes, I recommend that you do, um, uh, that you get it like a third party princess. I mean, sometimes you just need to check to see if your perimeter can get breached. I mean, that's really it. Um, I only really recommend establishing an offensive security program once you're ready for those luxury items uh, because you're going to need to spend money on them. Like you will have to spend money on the luxury items or they're not going to be as effective as uh, you expected. And let's talk about providing um, a great environment for that offensive security teams. What, what are the types of things that they need to be successful both from potentially tools as well as um, 
benefits or perks to ensure that um, they don't get poached? Sure, I would say that the key benefit, the key thing that a, a good offensive security team needs is, uh, you know, every company has different org charts. You know, some are very flat, some are high. Whoever the offensive security team needs to report to has to be higher up. They can't get bogged down with like lower tier management or middle management or whatever that people will block them because for a successful offset team, they need to be able to roam and they need to be able to have the authority to say, we are going here and doing this unless you tell me not to. And the only reason that they should be told not to is because it's, it would impact the business on a broad scale. And those kinds of answers can't come from somebody that is not higher um, towards the top. So if uh, an offset team is going to be established, I would recommend that the reporting structures that um, whoever they report to can write some very broad checks and is able to cash them um, politically, like financially, just a lot of ways. Don't set your offset team up for failure by placing them too low. Um, Sorry, what was the other part of your question? I went off on a tangent. With regards to keeping um, people happy in that role so that they're enjoying their career at an organization versus um, potentially getting poached, like um, as an offensive security team member, what, what's critical for you to feel like you're successful in your role outside of that um, political cover? Uh, impact, knowing that what you did actually somebody cares about. So I would say more than anything, just, just knowing that the work that you did mattered. So that goes into being able to pick the right targets, uh, understanding what the customer needs, internal customer needs, so that you write up the report correctly uh, so that they actually read it and take action on it. Um, making sure that there's a lot of boundaries removed so that the red team or the offensive security team can go make friends across the whole organization because they need to be seen as trusted adversaries, um, trusted insiders. Um, so don't put them in a corner and don't like put them in a box, like let them roam. You hired them for a reason. They're skilled at something. Let them go do what they're good at and just make sure that they, uh, the work that they're doing reaches the right audience. Okay. I think if you, if you do that, honestly, I think retention would be pretty good. Okay. Do you provide them with um, continuous education benefits? Like, what do you do to keep them sharp? Sharp? Um, so the way that the, the team runs currently where I'm at is uh, we do everything that we can Monday through Thursday, and then we have focus Fridays. And that's uh, basically no meeting Fridays. So I'm I am personally of the mindset that if you're going to do any training at all, it needs to be done during the workday. Not, you know, you don't have to be stressed and try to fit a whole course in on your own personal time. You know, you got kids in the background yelling at you and stuff. If I value your expertise and I want to grow your expertise, then I'm going to provide you with an opportunity to, to grow during the workday. Um, so I think maybe clearing, uh, clearing a schedule for your, for your operators Ensuring that if they want to take courses, you understand what they're going to get out of it so you can set them up for success. Carving out time so that they can do those things while they're sharp and awake and learn. Um, and really just letting them, just giving them room to, to kind of go explore on their own. Uh, I understand, you know, people do have to earn trust. 
Um, but they don't need to be micromanaged either. You, you really have to just let them go explore and do what they're good at, really. Okay. And we're, we're coming to the end of this, and I, I really wanted to take it back to you and okay. your journey. So what do you do to keep current in your role? And um, then, then I'll have some wrapping up questions for you. Sure. My answer to that is going to be a little different because I have started a different journey in my career. So I have uh, moved away from the on keyboard stuff and I have moved into a strategic role as an offensive security uh, leader. So to keep current in my, my thing, what I have come to realize is that there's no real technical training that's going to make me a better leader. To be a better leader, especially an offensive security leader, I need to go talk to people. Um, I need to basically read all those history books I was talking about. I need to learn about the mistakes that other people have made. And I need to really absorb that information and apply it to cyber and especially offensive operations. Taking those lessons, um, pitfalls that people have walked into throughout their, their history of the, the world. Um, and really just, just trying to connect to people. You know, as a strategic uh, person now, I do have to stay aware of all of the uh, operations that are going on, but it's really about just making sure that the operators are really good. Um, they're in a good state mentally and, and physically, uh, that they're healthy, that the programs they're working on matter. Don't let them like go work on something that nobody's ever going to see because then that really just kills their motivation and their uh, self-esteem. Um, it's really just getting out there and just being out and talking to people and learning and listening. Um, that's really how I keep myself sharp now. And I know it's kind of an odd answer for offensive security, but I think going down the path of taking more technical courses isn't going to help me help my team. And they're the one that, it, that the team is the one that's actually driving the mission now. They're the one that, that are executing and getting everything done. So I need to figure out the best ways to support them. Okay. And if someone were to say follow in, in your footsteps, um, what one piece of advice would they would you give to them um, based on everything you've learned so far in your journey for someone just trying to break into the industry and become an offensive security professional? Um, so just break into the off offsite world in general? Yep. Um, I have two pieces of advice. Um, first piece of advice is don't wait until you are in a leadership position to start reading about soft skills, things like leadership, listening, talking to people, um, how to uh, increase your performance, how to take breaks, read about those things. Now I know it's not technical, but it will help you in your career, regardless of whatever position you get in. Don't neglect the soft skills. Um, I wish I could, if I could repeat that thing, if I could repeat that like 10 times, that would be item one through 10. Uh, my second piece of advice and just something that, to take solace in is you can do everything right and still fail multiple times. Uh, a lot of things are not up to you and you can have the best resume and you can make all the connections in the world and you can interview and you can fail. And you may have been a really good candidate but you have no idea what no idea what's going on behind the scenes politically in that company about why you didn't get that job. So just keep at it and understand what you need to do to make yourself 
a better candidate. Um, put yourself in a position so that like whenever luck strikes, you're the first one that can take that opportunity. Just be ready and wait for your luck to hit. Wow. Well, Christopher, thank you so much. Um, appreciate it. For everyone that's listening and following, um, follow myself, follow Christopher on LinkedIn. For those of you on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and the notification button down below. And for those of you on podcast, feel free to share this with all of your friends, families, and anyone interested in cybersecurity. That way we could get the message out, get a more diverse group of individuals into this field because we need that diverse approach to help solve the problems of tomorrow. Christopher, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.